0: Good morning. How are you all doing? Happy New Year. It's not too late to say Happy New Year, right? Happy New Year, guys. Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, I don't know about you, but the last two weeks I've been really full. My relatives have been in town. My in-laws have been in town. And prior to that, my brother's family has been in town and we've been hosting both families. And so talk about crazy busy. We have been crazy busy. And on top of that, I've been, I've been working. And then on top of that, we've discovered this game called Dominion. And so when my brother was around every night was a game of Dominion, you know, and so we would, we would go to bed late and and then the kids would wake up and they'd be noisy. And so talk about crazy busy. Um, I, I was talking to my friend yesterday and we were both kind of feeling like, We can't wait to get back to work. (laughs) Anyone feel that way? No one? No one? Two people feel that way. I'm the third, you know? Uh, But a little structure would be helpful, even though uh, the holiday season was really, really fun. So um, this morning, I I, I did want to share a story that I I thought would add some perspective and clarity. Um, I don't mean to share a story that will be a downer this morning. But I do think it, if you look at it, it's a story of encouragement. So, so, um, recently, Lynn had an auntie, Auntie Yoko. And some of you may know her. She used to attend CLC, um, until year about 2000. But Auntie Yoko was in the hospital, and, um, her daughter thought it might be close to the end. And so, she was asking uh, cousin Lynn if she knew any pastor <laughs> that might be able to just talk to Auntie Yoko about matters of faith, and so um, and so Lynn and I went to the hospital. And Auntie Yoko is like, is she in her about in her nineties, eighties? And when I when I saw her in the hospital, uh, she had you know a tube in her mouth, and she was too weak to to sit up in bed. But she was so alert in her mind, you know, and, and she, she still had that sense of humor. And so we were talking about, like, she was one of the, the first women in her department to go to, to Cal. And so I made an instant connection with her. I'm like, I'm, I, I went to Cal, too. or Go Bears, you know. And pretty soon I had asked her for permission to be declared her favorite pastor, and she said that was Okay. You know, five minutes. It was it was pretty good. I was, um, and so we were just you know kind of uh, talking to her, and and Lynn was great. She was like stroking her hair, but Lynn, it was that 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 moment. You know, that 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 pregnant moment. And we turned to Antiocho and said, Antiocho, we know that you used to go to church, and we don't know how much time any of us have left. I mean, we could have ten years. We could have ten days. We wanted to know where you stand with Jesus. And Auntie Yoko, she was responding, but one thing she said that was so salient, she said, I'm afraid that when I pass through this life and I go to the gates of heaven and I stand in line, someone is going to cut in front of me and I'll lose my place. So that's how clear thinking she was, and it was that... That was what was going through her mind. And so Lynn and I, we said to Antiochus, Antiochus, if you trust in Jesus, if you trust in what he did on the cross and you receive that sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins, you don't have to worry about losing your place. Jesus has given you that place and all you have to do is rest and put your trust in him. And then we, we shared to her John 3, 16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we said, Antiocho, your role is to believe in Jesus. And Jesus on the cross, he does the rest. Now this was the coolest moment. We, we turned to Antiocho, which is very alert. We said, do you believe this? And I'm telling you, that moment for me was a bit of a miracle. It was one of those moments where this, this older lady became like a little girl, and she said, I believe. And it wasn't like, there wasn't any qualifiers like, I believe, but, you know. It was, I believe, and then she was done. That's all she said. And so we said, okay, well, let's, let's pray together. And during that prayer, uh, we 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 affirmed, reaffirmed her faith. And then Auntie, it was funny. Auntie Yoko, we we're talking about baptism, and, and she wanted to get better. And in a couple months come to church, and I'm like, well, which church are you going to go to? Would you want to go to some random church or the church where your favorite pastor is? And so she said she was going to come here. Well, I think it was the day after New Year's Day we 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 heard that Auntie Yoko had passed away. And so it was like... The day after New Year's, where I, I got this email from Lynn, and it was just a really compelling, sober reminder. I, I'm telling you guys this first, actually, it's not meant to be a downer. It is really encouragement. Because I want you to think about this, right? We didn't know where Anti Yoko was with her faith. And in those last minutes in this in this small window that was that was slipping away, Jesus sends. And there's a conversation to reaffirm her faith. And so Lynn was writing this email saying, I have confidence that Auntie Yoko uh, was greeted and welcomed into the gates of heaven with open arms. And she didn't lose her place because she put her trust in Jesus. You know, and so it's actually on the one hand, it's sad because some of us knew her and, and, and we really loved her. But on the other hand, it's joyful, God is so merciful. In the last moments, he reaffirmed her faith, and it's something to celebrate. But there was was also something that I I wanted to share with you, just a reflection upon Auntie Yoko feeling like, you know, in a couple months, I want to do this. And then her life kind of slipped away. And it's 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 a reflection that I think we can all connect to, which is, you guys, life is so short, right? Can you believe that 2014 already went by? It's, and, you, and at the end of the year, you always go, where did the year go, you know? And pretty soon it's going to be 2016 and someone else, I will be here or, you know, or someone else will be here, you know, saying, wow, I can't believe another year went by. Life is so incredibly short. It, you know, James says it's like a mist of vapor. It's here and then it's gone. And, and Auntie Yoko's life just kind of demonstrated that for me. It's so short. In an instant, in a flash, we'll be standing before Jesus. And so the idea is because life is so short, you guys, we can't waste it. We can't just waste it living for ourselves, living for our own pursuits and into our own stuff. This life is so short. We got to live each day for the glory of God. Just saying, God, each day, my life, spend it on your glory. Can I get an amen from the church here? was bugging me amen and so i wanted to start this new year with that perspective which is guys there's not going to be a a a lot of times that i'm going to be up here saying saying happy new year you know life is so short and so during this short ephemeral life we want to really make it count you know well our church i guess you could say our, our our mission is to help you guys live lives that really count now, um, I, I I don't have to remind you because I know you guys know this by heart, but does someone know our mission statement as a church? I'll give you a hint. Love is in it twice, and it's a combination of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Whoa, okay. Well, Tom's going to flash it on there, so you guys can just pretend that you, you're responding like you know it, right? The mission Statement of our church is to, you guys, can you just say that to me? Okay, that was good. Okay, so if I can just say two words, what do we stand for as a church? Make disciples, right? But then you're like, okay, what does that mean? Can you, can you be more clear? Well, it's make disciples who do three things. Love God, love other people, and serve the world, Right? So just a reminder what we stand for. This is what we believe, right? This is why we exist. Now we move on a little further. Some objectives. Like, how are you going to do that? Well, I guess there's three ways. One is culture of discipleship. Number two is thriving community. And number three is compassionate outreach. Now let me unpack the first one, culture of discipleship. We endeavor to be a community that is passionate and devoted to Jesus, Not a community that's lukewarm, but a community that puts skin in the game. A community that is on fire. A community that really makes this brief, ephemeral life count for God. Okay? Now, can I ask you, what is your number one obstacle, the number one thing that keeps us from being more passionate and more devoted to Jesus? What's the number one thing? I've been at our church, um, as a pastor for I think about 10 years. And I've been a member for maybe over 15 years, right? So I've, I've, I've been in our church for a long time. I had a lot of conversations with you guys. And so I'd like to think that, um, I'm, I'm one, one of you guys. Like, I, I know the church, you know? One, one time I was in my home group. And one of the things that we do as a, as a home group is after a home group, we, we split up the men and the women. And then we had just have the small groups kind of share what's going on in their lives, and we kind of pray for each other. So there was one time, it was not too long ago, I'm with the men, we're all sharing. The first guy to share says something like, guys, my life has been so busy. And then he kind of, we actually put each other on a timer because <laughs> we don't have much time. And then he shares, and then the next guy goes, you know... I'm so exhausted. My life is so busy. I'm so tired. And then the next guy, oh, I have no energy left. I'm so tired. I'm so busy, guys. And then it's my turn. Okay, now I'm thinking while all these guys are sharing, I'm thinking I am not going to say I'm tired and busy. You know why? Because I don't, it's become cliche. I don't want to just, you know, be another one. I want to say something original. But do you know how I was honestly feeling? Tired and busy, right? And so, you know, I'm like, well, I, I don't, I'm lacking energy. Life has been full. But really what I'm saying is I feel tired and busy. Can you guys say tired and busy? How many of you guys, now I know this can't be just my home group. It's probably the rest of the church. How many of you guys Just live in a lifestyle, and some of the best ways to describe it are tired and busy. Raise your hands. Okay, almost all of you are raising. Now, the people who are not are sleeping. You know why? Because they're so tired and busy, right? Come on. It's just part of our culture, part of our lifestyle. Now, what I want to say is that during my sabbatical, I picked up a book. And, uh, I was in Hong Kong, and you guys, thank you so much for that. No, oh, thanks. You can put it in, I'll load it up uh, in the middle of it. I picked up this book, and it's called Crazy Busy. It's written by Kevin DeYoung. And it's really, the first thing that really attracted me to this book is that it's really short, right? And, and you know, I mean, I don't have, I don't have time to read a really long book, and here's a, a short book. I'm like, great. But, but later on, this won an award for the 2014 Christian Book of the Year Award for Christian Excellence in Literature. I'm like, whoa, okay. Now, I'm opening up the book, and I'm reading it, and my conviction is like, this book and the contents of this book is just perfect for our church because it's so relevant to how we live life and where we live and what's going on. This is so relevant. And so I like the way that he approaches this topic. It's very linear. It's very practical. So I'm thinking I would do a great service to the church if I just stick as closely to the book as possible, okay? So what we're going to do for the next six weeks is just talk about being crazy busy. And I have a feeling that almost all of us can relate. Now, um Kevin DeYoung says there are dangers to being crazy busy, but the first danger is really spiritual. There are spiritual dangers associated with being crazy busy. But then he goes on to unpack these dangers. And what I want to do right now is just really give you uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 from Crazy Busy in about 20 minutes. I'm getting tangled up. Okay, here we go. Okay, well, crazy busy is really first and foremost a spiritual problem, okay? Okay. Now, what is the danger of being crazy busy? young outlines two dangers. The first one is that being crazy busy can ruin our joy. Let me hear you guys say ruin our joy. Now, I I have a feeling that you you know what I'm talking about here. It's it's a pretty self-explanatory point. But as Christians, our lives should be marked by joy, It should taste like joy. It should be filled with the fullness of joy. But when our lives are frantic and frenzied, we are more prone to anxiety, resentment, impatience, irritability. And I think we can relate to this. Uh, I I always remember this story where there were these kids, and they were talking about superhero identities. And which of their family members would be which kind of superhero? And one of the kids says, I know what mom would be. I know what mom would be. And they go, what? She would be the Hulk. And they're like, why? Because when she gets mad, she turns into a monster. How many of you guys can relate to turning into a monster? You know what happens to me? Now, now this is definitely true during Christmas and during uh, uh, break. But it, it, it's, it's actually normally true. It happens to me after dinner. After dinner. Now, my day is really long. It's busy. I'm trying to make each moment count. I come home. We have a nice dinner. We're talking. But then after dinner, it's a race for me with young kids. It's a race to get to bed. And I know in our culture, we we really highly respect the free will of our children and all that. But I would be so fine... If my kids after dinner just became obedient robots, can I get an amen somewhere? Right. I, you know, I, I don't care about your free will. Just do what I say. I want you to, I want you to get washed, put on your pajamas, brush your teeth and go to bed. And I want them to go, yes, father, we hear you and obey and just do it. I would love that. I would love that. But, you know, one kid wants to linger in the bathtub. The other kid takes forever to put on his clothes, and I'm about to lose it. I turn into, like, this green monster, right? And so joy just goes out the window. But but here, DeYoung, actually, he gives a really helpful tip. He, he talks about this concept of margin. Margin. Now, margin he defines as the space between our load and our limits, okay? You guys can actually just kinesthetically go along with me. If you make a a larger, like, line right here with your hand, that would be your load. Now, your load is is basically all the things you need to do, all the things on your to-do list. Your limit, which is the, the lower half, is that line that you cross, and then you get irritable. You know what I'm saying? That line that you cross, and then joy goes out the window. And, and De Young says, we need to plan for the unplannable. It means we understand what's possible for us as finite creatures, and then we plan for less than that. How many of you guys would say, by self-confession, you're poor planners? Me. I, okay, that would be me. That would be me. Now, now I, I, I love how insightful DeYoung is here because he just totally nailed me. This is what I do when, when it's a busy day. I think about all the things I can do if everything goes perfect. Anyone like that? If everything goes perfect, I can squeeze all those activities in. I tend to overestimate my ability to get stuff done. I squeeze it all in. That's how I plan. You know, It's very optimistic in, in thinking. But then what happens? You guys know what happens? Does it ever go according to plan? Does it ever go without a hitch? Does it ever go exactly how you thought it would go? No, right? And then what you do is you you hunker down, you get harried, and joy goes out the window, and you get irritable, you get grumpy. That's me. And so what what DeYoung says is what we need to do is understand what is possible for us as finite creatures, and then we plan for less than that. We make room for margin. It's basically saying, I know I can hunker down and finish this project, but then I would have nothing left for God or my family at night. And I don't want to do that to them. So, like, it looks like, at work, I intentionally hold back so I can have more of myself available to God, available to my family during the evening. We plan for margin. Okay. Now, it, that is a practical tip, but keep in mind, we are actually talking about the dangers of being crazy busy. So danger number one is being crazy busy ruins our joy. Danger number two is it robs our hearts. Let me hear you guys say, robs our hearts. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives us his first sermon in the book of Mark. And the message is about how people grow, but mostly it's about what keeps them from growing, what holds them back. This message is a pretty big deal. A sower tosses seed liberally. If you guys remember the the parable, he tosses seed liberally. and, And some of the seed lands along the path. The birds come, devour it, game over. Some of the seed fall on rocky ground, and it springs up quickly. But then the scorching heat comes, and those plants come to nothing. Some fall among thorns. And then the thorns just choke it to death. Now, Jesus explains what the parable means. He says, in some hearts, the word of God, it does nothing. It does nothing. They hear a message, they go home, it does nothing. Satan just comes and just scoops up the word. In other hearts, the word of God grows at first. But then there's no depth. So when, you know, like suffering comes or trial comes, it, it all gets taken away. These, these would-be Christians are taken out of commission. But then this third soil, this third unsuccessful soil, the word sinks in deeper, and, and the, the plants sprout up almost to the point of producing fruit. And then what happens? The thorns come, and they choke the word. They choke what could be some fruit. Now, Jesus names what these thorns are. And one of these thorns sounds suspiciously a lot like crazy busy. One of the thorns Jesus calls the cares of this world, right? The worries of this life. And I want you to think about this. What are some things that you guys really are kind of wrapped up over? You've been preoccupied with the cares of this life, the worries of this world. Okay, what we're talking about here is, you got car repairs or your water heater goes out. I've had a bunch of conversations where that just happened to some of us, you know. Or your heat is leaking out of your home and you need eco blinds. Okay, that's a little bit for me. Your kids need to see a doctor. Your checkbook is in balance. You need to write those thank you notes. Uh, actually, what you need to write is the Christmas card, but it's too late for that. You need to write the New Year's card. It's too late for that. Your boards are coming up. More applications need to send out. Your refrigerator is empty. Your lawn needs mowing. And your hair needs mowing too. Now, that's life for most of us. Jesus gets this. But you guys, how many messages have been robbed of their power because on Sunday, we were just so tired? I mean, Pastor Andrew was on fire, but I just slept through his whole message. Or how many of you times your priorities just get crowded out? crowded out, choked out. Why? Because I'm just so busy with doing all this stuff that really in eternity matter, nothing. Right? And Jesus is just like, let's just get real. If we do not intentionally guard against the subtle tyranny of the cares of this world, it will choke out your spiritual life. This is real stuff. We need to radically intentionally address this problem and that's why we're going to spend 6 weeks addressing this problem why because if we don't it's going to choke us spiritually and it's been choking us for a while and so we need to address it you know and so that's what we want to do we're going to address it we're going to address it head on now now I'm going into chapter 3 of crazy busy um we get these dangers right you guys you guys are with me we we, we get these dangers number 1 it ruins our joy Number two, it robs our hearts. Okay? So now we're going into the next step. Now, you're expecting me right now to just, hey, guys, here are five easy, practical solutions to not being crazy busy. Now, what I like about young is he doesn't do that. Like chapter three, he just goes deeper. It's not a superficial kind of solution. He just goes deeper into the problem. And when he goes deeper, he goes deeper into the human heart. Why is it that we approach life in such a way that we keep ourselves so crazy busy? I mean, I could spend some time, like, blaming the culture. I could blame your boss. I could blame Lynn's boss, you know. We we, we could just always point the finger, right? But what I like about what DeYoung does is that, you know, guys, the real problem with crazy busy is the human heart. So let's look inside our hearts to see what is it inside us that enables this kind of lifestyle. It's not outside in, it's probably, actually biblically, it's inside out. And he says the root problem is the sin of pride. That's what keeps us crazy busy. Now, there are many manifestations of pride, and we're going to name several of them that keep us crazy busy. And did you know they all happen to start with P? Yeah, he's one of those preachers, you know? They all start with P. Now, we're going to do this quickly. What I want to do while we're doing this is I want you guys to be thinking, okay, which one manifests in me and keeps me crazy busy? Okay, we're not going to do this like, oh, this is nice. We actually really want to do some spiritual work while we're here on Sunday. So what I want you to do is hear these Ps, and then you're going to break up into just pairs, and just share which one connects with you. Or if I didn't mention one, you're just gonna make one up. It's gotta start with P, I'm just kidding. It's, but it's just gotta be one of those things that really drives you, okay? So, here are the killer P's that keep us crazy busy. Okay, number one, this one's obvious. Begins with P, it's people pleasing, right? Do you have any people pleasers in this room? I'm expecting you to raise your hand, so, people pleasing, yeah, okay. Uh, We're busy because we try to do too many things. We do too many things because we say yes to too many people. We say yes to too many people because, why? Because we want them to like us and we fear their disapproval. So much of our business, it comes down to meeting the expectations of other people, right? Okay, so the first P is people pleasing. The next P is performance evaluation. There is something in the human heart that tends to overestimate our own importance. Now, for those of you who are workers, how many of you are above average in your work? Now, if you're honest, most hands would go up, right? For those of you who are students, how many of you are above? Most hands would go up. For those of you who are preachers, how many of you are above average preachers, you know? my Right. So it, it's that's just... That's just how we think. It's just how we think, right? We tend to overestimate our own value. Now, the truth is that you do have gifts. You are unique. You're loved. And you are also replaceable. I am replaceable. I am replaceable, right? So, uh, performance evaluation. Uh, Number three, possessions. We work to earn. We earn to spend. We stay busy because we want more stuff. Having more stuff Keeps us preoccupied with the upkeep, possessions. Uh, How about this one? Proving myself. There's ambition for God's glory, and then there's ambition for my own glory. In all honesty, right? Some of us, dare I say most of us, are trying to prove something through our accomplishments, and that's why we're running at such a crazy rate. We're trying to prove something either to our parents or to our peers or to the cosmos. We're trying to prove that we are people who matter. We're people of consequence. And so we're driving ourselves to excel and achieve. Last P, perfectionism. Any perfectionists here in the room? We have this internal drive that says, I can't rest until everything is perfect. For perfectionists, there's a wrong way and a right way to do just about everything. And I must do it right every single time. And so there's this drive. So people-pleasing, performance evaluation, possessions, proving myself, perfectionist, perfectionism. Which one of these kind of resonates with you? Or maybe there's another one that I didn't name. What I want you to do is just pair up with someone next to you and just share honestly. Can we have a candid, honest moment, you know? What is it inside you that drives you to be crazy busy if, if you are crazy busy? Go ahead and share. Go ahead. Okay, well, in reality, I would want to give you more time, but we don't have more time. You know why? Because we're crazy busy. You guys knew that was coming. Okay, um, now, I bet you there are people who follow directions really, really well. I asked you to identify an internal motivation, and you just kept the conversation going towards the internal motivation. But some of you, I bet, were just asking questions. Like, you know, I'm a little bit more complicated than that. It's not so black and white. It's not like this is bad and this is good. I'm complex, you know? And so my question is like, what's the difference between people pleasing and being a loving person? Like if my spouse asks me to run an errand for her, am I supposed to say, honey, you've tapped into my people pleasing tendencies. I cannot do it for you. I'm sorry, I'm trying to just be pure in my motivations. It can't be done. You know? I mean, what's the difference? What's the difference between a loving neighbor and a people pleaser? And it almost seems like if you just take, tweak it a little bit, suddenly it becomes something that's very, like, good versus something very, very bad. And are you saying, uh, Pastor Andrew, that To not give a rip about other people or their opinion of me and to maintain a life with zero ambition somehow makes me holier than the other people who have, you know, lots of ambition. It's complex, right? Uh, Maybe not as complex as we might make it out to be. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. This is one of my favorite passages. One of my favorite passages. And Paul just lays it out there. I love this. I love this passage. Paul is talking to people about spiritual gifts. So it kind of relates. But you imagine someone operating in their spiritual gifts so much that they are crazy busy, so it kind of transfers. He breaks out into this beautiful poem, and it's, it's mostly read at weddings, but it's actually meant to be a rebuke to this community. But here it goes, okay? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels that have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Actually, I could I, basically uh, this church was so enamored with tongues. You know, they were so enamored with tongues. And Paul's like, you know something? You could speak in the most beautiful tongues, but if you do not have love, you are you are just like, you know, you know, it's just like you could close or I go la, 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 and it'd be the same thing. All right. That's Paul. Now, you know, in, in this, these chapters, what Paul's like, you know, you tongues, okay, it's good for you, but, but prophecy is good for the people around you. So Paul actually preferred prophecy for people. Now, read this. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can remove mountains but have not love, I am... What's the word? I'm nothing. Paul's like, well, this is my, this is my favorite run. I want you guys... He's like, but honestly... If you have this to like the ubermost ability and you don't exercise it with love, you're nothing. You're nothing. Now, okay, Paul's like, okay, here's your favorites. These are mine. But let's go to the most extreme examples of spiritual behavior, okay? If I give away all I have, I don't know a lot of people who have done that. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned. But have not love, I gain, what's the word? Nothing. I I I sound like nothing. I gain nothing. I am nothing. If I do not do all these incredible things that would make me crazy busy, if I ha- don't have love. Paul is so clear. The reason why you do what you do really, really matters. It's really that important you could surrender your body to the flames and be burned to death but if you didn't do it with the motivation of love you're nothing wow those words are so powerful now de young is is capturing this concept you know and he's basically saying if you want to discern your internal motivations to see if they're pure there's there's a diagnostic question you can ask a simple question to help you discern why you're doing what you're doing and Here it is. Am I trying to do good or make myself look good? You guys remember that one? Am I trying to do good or make myself look good? Now, before you make a commitment, before you do something that's going to take considerable time, energy, and resource. What would happen if you just said, stop, wait a second. Am I doing this to look good or to love on people and do good? Maybe our schedules would be totally changed if we just carried that diagnostic question. Hold it, am I doing this to to do good or to look good? I'll give you some examples. uh, And then we're, we're done for this first installment. Let's say you're asked to coach your daughter's soccer team. <clears throat> your schedule is packed, but reluctantly you say yes. Good move or bad move? Well, it depends. Maybe you said yes because you want to spend more time with your daughter and to influence the the, 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 the folks on the soccer team for Christ. Or maybe just as likely you said yes because... You didn't want to let people down. You didn't want to disappoint the person making the request. Is it to do good out of love or is it to look good before other people? And maybe you realize, you know, it's kind of a mixture of both. There's there's too much of the former. But I've already made the commitment. So next year, I'm I'm not going to re-up. Or maybe it's like, you know, it's mostly out of love. But there's some mixed motivation, and you need to, God cleanse my heart, so I'm doing it for the right reasons. Not so people go, oh, you're such a good, you know, but I'm, but I'm doing it because I want to spend time with my daughter and influence the lives of the soccer mates. Okay, how about another one? Another example. How many of you opened your home in this past season to, uh, to guests, to friends, to family, are they like... Christmas uh, Day or or New Year's. Raise your hands if you did some hosting. That's most of you guys, okay? Now, now for some of us who raise our hands, we do it so effortlessly. It's just, it's, it just flows. You know, you have, you have a spiritual gift of hospitality, but, but others of us, it was a bit of a struggle. We were kind of stressed out. Maybe we we're, weren't even very friendly while we were doing it, you know? Now... When you think of hospitality, I want you guys to remember this phrase. Good Christian hospitality is hospital itty. I want you guys to say hospital itty. Okay, yeah, hospital itty. Hospitality, hospital itty. Good Christian hospitality is making your home like a hospital. The idea is that friends and family, the wounded, the weary, they come to your house and then they leave. They feel, they feel helped. They feel encouraged. They feel refreshed. Hospital itty. But too often when you host, it's like this nerve wracking experience for hosts. You know, we get worked up and crazy busy that the house needs to look perfect and the food needs to be perfect. And we stress ourselves out when good Christian hospitality has a lot more to do with good relationships and meaningful conversations. And we don't necessarily need like the house looking perfect in order to achieve that, right? How many of you think Pastor Andrew is like getting into a lot of trouble right now? I'm not saying leave the house a complete mess and serve Trader Joe's frozen foods. I'm not saying that. Some of you are offended right there because Trader Joe's frozen foods is not bad. It is not bad, but remember the principle is not about looking good, but it's about what? Doing good, loving people. I don't need the house to look perfect or like top chef quality food in order to love people and encourage meaningful conversations and encourage, you know, positive relationships in Christ. You know, we're not saying be a slob. But we are looking like what matters, what doesn't matter, what what is is this really worth stressing out for? Can I get half the room to say Amen? Okay, I'm not saying go home and use this against your spouse. I'm saying that just open up a conversation about these things. You know, am I trying to look good, or am I trying to do good and love other people? Okay. So uh, next time we host, next time we make a commitment that will take considerable time, energy, we remember 1 Corinthians 13, and we ask ourselves, am I trying to do good or am I trying to look good? And we're going to continue to talk about this for the next five weeks. Hopefully today was a good start. You, you see the relevancy of why we're talking about this and where we're going. You guys, I, I, I love you as, as my church. Uh, I've, I've been here for more than 15 years. I know crazy busy is something we struggle with. This just totally hits home. So if you will with me for the next five weeks, not just take these concepts, but go home and talk about it. Talk about it with your roommate. Talk about it with your spouse on the way home and say, what did we hear? What can we apply? What can we approve? That's gonna really make the most of these six weeks because this is a huge problem. Remember, Jesus is saying, if this problem is not handled, it will handle you. If we cannot control this problem, this problem will control you and choke you. Now, love you guys. We don't want that to happen. We want to handle this before it handles us. Amen? So let's roll up our sleeves into the next five weeks. We're going to talk about crazy busy. We're going to talk about strategies. We're going to be really practical. And we're going to make some changes. Okay, can you guys stand up? Okay, let's pray. Father, I I pray that the insights that DeYoung has given us through you, the insights that have come about through carefully studying your word and thinking, how does it apply to my busy life? I pray that it wouldn't be wasted. I pray that there's not one soul in our church that wouldn't really carry this, think about it and apply it into their lives. I pray that we would apply, why? Because we love you. We don't want our priorities to be out of whack. We want our priorities and our focus to be sharp because life is so short. We don't have time to waste it. And so I'm praying for my church, my spiritual family, that we would really address this issue and steward our lives in a godly way with great insight from the scriptures, all to the glory of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name.